Here we go. From the 305 to the 303, this is TCSP. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Dr. Brian and the Cadbury Serious Band. All right, Internet. You wanted the best and you got it. The hottest podcast in the world, TCSP. All right, ladies and gentlemen, just taking a couple seconds here, and uh, we'll invite the co-hosts in. Uh, have yourself a hot tea or a fried pickle, whatever it is you like. We'll be right with you. All right, what is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Casually Serious Podcast, The Mixtape, Record Stash Revisit, Kiss, 1976 to 1977. I think, I think I got that right. And if I didn't, what the hell? Who cares, right? Thank you so much to you for uh, for you folks for coming in, uh, tuning in. Bobby Mac, Brian Smith here right away. Uh, Brian Smith, this seems like uh, a habit, and uh, I can dig it. Thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us, dude. Uh, Today we are going through the, I guess, uh, well, definitely one of my, if not, yeah, my favorite part of the KISS catalog right now. We're going uh, 1976 to 1977. We have got uh, three studio albums that came out during that time, and we've got one live album that changed my friggin' life. Uh, I don't really, I don't really uh, know what I, what, I, what I would have done about without it, but uh, give me one second. You know, I... <laughs> There's a there's a, a huge chance right now, ladies and gentlemen, that I did not give the uh, the link to my co-host. Give me one second, guys. Talk amongst yourselves while I while I throw myself in a, a throw my friend in electronic mail. At any rate, this is definitely my favorite part of the Kiss catalog. Uh, I know there's a, a lot of favorites. Uh, it, when you when you ask some of the some of the older Kiss fans, some of them might actually go back to the very beginning, the stuff that we covered last week. I'm going to go on record as saying that is definitely not my favorite stuff. We are, what we are covering right now is my favorite stuff. Um, you know, when I first stumbled upon Kiss, and I guess I could say stumble, but uh, my brothers who turned me onto this band. Uh, it was an in-house thing. I, I I wasn't seeing a lot of their stuff. 
um, in <laughs> the magazines I was reading uh, as a young person. So by the time I was maybe six, five, six, seven years old, my brother was already definitely getting me into some Kiss stuff. And the first album I was actually introduced to was Kiss Alive 2. And that just happens to be part of uh, what we got going on here. So, you know, without further ado, let's go ahead and bring in my co-host. I think he showed up. I, from what I heard, um, you know, the the his limo driver was all screwed up on fentanyl or something like that. I don't know what the deal is. The guy gets driven around town because he refuses to drive because he's a fucking rock star. Uh, that's just the way he is. But uh, let's bring him on right now, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, Stony Griffin. Dude, dude, what's up? I, I don't dude. drive because I, I'm not capable any longer. No. <laughs> because I think what happened was is uh, Stony had a, a vehicle named a uh, Goldie, I think, and it was the name on that one. And uh, after that car went away, he just refused to drive ever again. This is true. <laughs> How you doing, Bob? I'm doing good, man. How you doing today, Stony? Good, man. I'm running on fumes, but. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, America, <laughs> if you're not running on fumes, you're living in another country, buddy. That's yeah, just the I, way it goes. That's true. How's your uh, How's your week started off, man? It's chaotic, man, and um, you know, hey, we're here, and uh, let's talk about Kiss, right? We're going to talk about Kiss. I think it's definitely going to be one of the things that we're going to talk about today. Uh, oh yeah, our buddy Stony Grantham says that he needs a link. Uh, I went ahead and did that. For everybody who was wondering, uh, I, I think by the time by the time I saw your text, it had clicked in my head that I probably hadn't sent you the link to the show yet. So yeah, I was knocking, but nobody was answering the door. Man. Yeah, yeah, man. Dave's not here, man. He's not here, dude. Well, better late than ever, and we've got uh, appropriate pint glass tonight. I got yeah. my casually serious coffee mug. There you are. Um. So yeah, I'm excited. I was telling the uh, the the viewers uh, before you Joe, before your uh, limo driver kicks you out of the limo, <laughs> that this is by far the my favorite part of the Kiss catalog, my favorite part of the Kiss story, the Kiss era, the Kiss costumes, and uh, you know when I was first introduced to Kiss, it was because of one of the albums we're about to cover here, and uh, I know the same thing goes for you, Stony. So um, you know, I guess what the hell? Let's just jump in right now and get it started, dude. Right on. Destroyer. Destroyer. Let me tell you, man. Uh, I think I was talking to you about this last week. And it this is this is the album for some reason, and this happened to me way late in my Kiss life. Um, Destroyer was something I had heard a lot growing up. Da 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 da, and. and Definitely was in major rotation, but sometime I think around maybe lick it up, I, I started going back and listening to it a little bit more. And then I guess maybe that kind of stamped it in my life as as the sound of the 70s. Because whenever I hear songs from that album, I just think of the 70s and not in the way I think of, not in like a dazed and confused kind of way, uh, even though it's an amazing movie. Uh, it, it's just something about that sound. It's, it's the the production on it, as we both know, is extremely anthemic and huge and big. And pianos are added, and it's otherworldly. But there's just, I mean, besides the songs, man, uh, the overall sound and feeling of that album to me was always like 
the 70s and i can always put it on and travel back in time to when i was about five or six <laughs> and listen to this man well listening to you um you were truly a a, a live album kid in the 70s weren't you i mean obviously yeah. alive too and alive so uh because i mean how did you avoid destroyer that's you know <laughs> it's like uh, avoiding oxygen in the 70s almost <laughs> <laughs> It's actually, I don't know. I, th I think again, it was, um, it was alive too from the beginning. And then I, I pedaled backwards. Now I don't really know. I can't remember if I went all the way to the debut and then worked my way up or if I trickled backwards. All I know is that I was, if I was seeking out original versions of the songs I had heard on alive and alive too, it was probably only the albums that those songs were on that I was listening to. And then, and then, started diving in a little bit deeper as I started getting like that kiss knowledge you get when you start getting real proud about all the shit, you know, about kiss. Um, when you actually, that's, that's when I started listening to it. That's awesome, man. Um, I was just thinking that, uh, I was thinking about destroyer earlier and I was thinking, uh, you don't really think in terms. I don't, I don't think I've never heard anybody else talk about this so much either. Alive's recorded on the dress to kill tour. And uh, so there's this massive, you know, chasm from, or, or you know, what would you, an evolution, it's beyond, it's beyond an evolution. If you look at, because you had a live from Dress to Kill tour, if you go from Dress to Kill over here to uh, Destroyer, that's a massive shift in sound and style, and it's no... Uh, wonder that their original hardcore fan base kind of flipped out and freaked out on this on Destroyer, you know, coming in 76 because it is night and day from Dress to Kill, which is what, again, the Alive album was recorded on the, the Dress to Kill tour, you know, in 75. So um, they had a lot of negativity as far as fans went when, when Destroyer came out, but uh, I was there. I mean, I was not there the day it came out as far as, you know, purchasing it. Um, but I got it pretty early on and it, you know, un unlike you were saying, you know, how I had to go, I didn't have to go really, really back, back to destroyer at all. Um, I liked it again. I was, you know, 12 years old when I got it. So what's not to like, you know, <laughs> the cover. Oh dude. Even the back is badass. Oh yeah. Dude. You know what I mean? Like it just it it leaves you wondering. You know, there's there is absolutely no other. I mean, the I don't know, man. It's it's insane. It, it's it always they always gave you this feeling that they were, um, you know, obviously otherworldly and they were not of this earth. And they sold the shit out of it very well. They were wonderful at it. There, there's just something about that album and that album cover that is just, um, I don't know, man. The spikes on his left hand and the left and right hand, yeah, yeah. like that's something I noticed. I was kind of hoping. Uh, that would be in concerts. That really odd tooth <laughs> spike that's coming off his raised boot, Gene's raised boot. That's a very odd little thing. I was wondering, what's that? That's got to be cutting into Ace's leg at some point. But <laughs> I was just, I was fascinated by this man as a kid. Like you said, I mean, it, it, it's 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 crazy. And as I got older, I realized, like you just said, what a freaking leap yeah. of. Not, I mean, forget. I mean, I, I guess they were all they were already talented, but they what they did was they found Kiss and they found exactly what Kiss was and they found out how to funnel writing into it. But not only that, 
the fucking stage production and and the their just their live sound was insane dude uh what a massive jump dude like you're right man i don't i don't really quite understand exactly how uh how it happened or why it happened but i i definitely don't care well <laughs> no let's face it it was Ezrin, almost you know i had to be a lot of that was Ezra, Bob Ezrin, the, the producer, right? Yeah. And, and I think Kiss wanted to capitalize so bad on uh, mm. on a live at the time that, you know, they basically just went for it. And, and he his direction, I mean, it was 100% almost. You know, they they didn't question hardly anything uh, during the making of, of Destroyer. Yeah, and they could have. Yeah, they could have, you know, gone against the grain with him, but they were reporting to camp. And uh, yes, sir. No, sir. And how high? You know, not to if, age was high, probably. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. On 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 top of it, I think I think the fan reaction is a natural fan reaction, sort of the same way I had a. Uh, and I, I hate to make the comparison, but I can only do it. The the feeling I, I I almost got when I listened to the Black album as opposed to anything previous from Metallica, there was a maturity to that album. There's a maturity to the sound, whether whether be it good or bad. There's a maturity to it, an evolution, and that sound on Destroyer was an evolution and a maturity and a honing of their sound uh, of and the craft and uh, of what would we would know to be Kiss from there on out, other than Dynasty, um, which you know has a few tracks on it. But um, it's oh, kind of wow. it's it's massive. Uh, Destroyer. Took a little while to, to to catch on. Also, yeah, people don't really realize that. Looking back in, you know, just looking back in time, you know, Destroyers this this huge success, and uh, there's nothing left to be said. But it that's really not the truth. By the time <clears throat> Beth was flipped over and played on the B side of that single, Detroit Rock yep. single, you know, they weren't really. I mean, they were selling because they had exploded with Alive. You know, a lot better than they had been. But uh, Destroyer didn't really take off into that second gear till uh, Beth, man. Strange enough, you know. Beth sent it, man. Stratosphere, dude. It, it, it's it, it's such a it's such a hilarious thing to think about too that their biggest biggest hit ever was basically written and produced, uh, written and performed by someone they consider to be the most unreliable band member they have ever worked with. Um, the, the, the most inept drummer in the world, according to GNP. Um, it's kind of crazy, man. Oh, you mean, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it, uh, not to mention that, but, uh, what you just did, but, uh, the, he also wrote the, the less, you know, probably the least amount of songs in Kiss. So he wasn't a prolific writer, like you're saying. They weren't real happy with him, uh, by and large, you know, here and there. I think early on, uh, they were happy with Pete, Peter Chris. Yeah, you know, he had some some. He was pretty bombastic and pretty hard hitting when he was younger. Uh, right. I don't know what was going on with him around Destroyer uh, time, but um, you know, well, it really wasn't Peter's song either. It was half of it, at least, was Stan or. Let's put it this way. There's Peter Chris with the P word. Dan Pendage. And then uh Bob Ezrin takes it to a completely different, you know, planet. Right. So I don't know how it, how close the uh the resulting Beth was to Beck, you know, <laughs> B right. A or whatever, you know. For those who don't know, it was originally B E C K Beck, um, and uh, and they decided that that might not be the greatest thing in the world 
because he sounded already too much like Rod Stewart. And Rod Stewart was sort of already known at the time to be sort of, um, we wouldn't, I, I guess we wouldn't say, uh, let's just say bye. And he kind of, uh, he played on both teams. And, and, and I guess Kiss did not want to be confused with that. But I remember hearing a lot of stuff about that. Um, that that was sort of like one of the big kiss facts I think I learned was oh, wow. that Beth was Beck. And uh, I remember hearing Beck at, much, much later, um, right around the time I think I pressed you a bunch of Wicked Lester CDs uh, uh, yeah. from, from my burn from LimeWire. But I remember hearing some of that and and, and saying, damn, that's, that's crazy. Let's check some of this out real quick. How, how about we look at this? song on the album man and it's not is it theirs or is it a cover oh it's a cover yeah that's what uh, i thought I, I i heard something recently and i was like i don't know if that's real or if someone made that because at this point i don't trust anything i see on the internet uh, <laughs> but yeah i i think because I, I, I that original song is a completely different tempo from beginning to end the breakdown on the kiss song ding, 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 yeah. ding, ding, is throughout the whole entire original version which is very hard to get used to at first but yeah I mean, I think Kiss did it way better. I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. I can't remember the band that uh, they weren't very successful uh, that that wrote it and and recorded it earlier in the '70s. But uh, I don't know. I can't remember the name of the band. But um, I did listen to it myself too, and thought, well, you can hear it. I mean, it's the same song, but uh, I think Kiss really uh, did it much better. And you know, I'm glad they did because it's a great song, great Kiss song. Also, you know. Yeah, it's it's. It's definitely. It became one of my favorites later. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what it is about what I what I loved about Kiss. I, I think maybe I was just always sort of wanted something crazy and aggressive, and that's definitely rock and roll, boppy. And uh, but when I heard live versions of it, uh, and when I saw it played on um, the reunion tour, I, I was already in love with it, man. It's an, it's uh, the album itself is just is like I said, the production is crazy, man. And and I it, like you like you said, it was a big departure from what people had kind of listened to and expected from kiss the rawness and the garage band of it all had sort of gone away, which is uh, um, fine with me. If I'm being honest, this, this growth is insane. King of the nighttime, obviously God of thunder jeans uh, version. <laughs> yeah. And then we, we get to the old uh, number four, great expectations, um, which if I remember correctly, is just another wonderfully misogynistic song posed <laughs> as a, uh, uh, basically saying to the girl, you know, you, you want to get with me because you have great expectations. Uh, at least that's what I remember. Um, and I completely pr forgot Paul saying on it. That's true. But Gene does. Oh yeah. They don't they share that dude. They do, man. They do. It's, it's very weird. I went back and listened to it again and completely forgot that Paul was singing on it. I was just already very mad at Gene. 
<laughs> like, <laughs> what did you, what were you doing? You like, think? but then I know there's gotta I, be one. I've heard or, or kiss fans online, you know, a lot of them hate it. And a lot of them actually surprisingly dig it. You know, uh, a lot of them like it. So I, I'm softened on it. Um, when I was a kid, I, I, you know, I would skip it, you know, basically and go straight to flame and youth on, on side B. That's how I, old I am. I had to flip to get to side B, but, uh, uh with your hand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but as I've gotten a lot, as I got older, I kind of softened on it. I'll listen to it, you know, and, and usually not skip that track. Uh, it's got a, a weird certain charm to it. Um, I think it rubbed people the wrong way though at the time. Um, Probably. I mean, you didn't need, if you already had Bath on that album, you really didn't need that song. Uh, yeah, you're right. You know, I, I don't know. So what's your, what's your favorite track off of it? Man, uh, it's probably between King of the Nighttime World and um, Do You Love Me? Probably. I kind of dig Sweet Pain and Flaming. You know, I, I like uh, almost all the album. Man. Shout It Out Loud is on there, for God's sake. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah. <laughs> and so, then they, they nail that into our head after a while. But, you, you know, like you're your second rock and roll all night. You know, it's uh, 100%. Boom, down right down the chute, uh, another anthem. Uh, you know. They certainly used it uh, massively during the Alive Worldwide reunion tour thing. Um, they were going for Anthem. They probably just didn't want to do rock and roll all night. They really hit Shout It Out Loud uh, hard for that tour. Uh, yeah. My favorite song is definitely Do You Love Me, believe it or not. Yeah, right. um, there's something about that song. I think the the end with the piano uh, or, or – yeah, because I think there's a piano and uh, maybe like some church bell thing going on. Like it sounds like a – it's just it's just so it's so echoey and odd. Um, you it's being played underwater the album, but like in a good way. The very end part. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, that's that's uh even it has its own title. It's a uh, rock and roll party, I think. Oh, okay. Is that what they released? Because there, this is still this is when the when the chorus is still going. Do you love me all through the end? And you hear the bing oh, bing, bing. Chime, yeah, like, like chimes like yeah and stuff like that. Yeah, it's pretty uh, cool, man. Yeah, those are cool. I thought you were talking about that that weird hidden little track at the end. The I know what you're talking about that and that sounds a lot like uh there's a there's actually great expectations in that the if you listen to it and go through it again it's got that like uh the background singing of great expectations is kind of through that which is very weird. And he's and doing rock like, and roll party. Paul, you can do hear Paul doing like a, a in concert rant, uh rant or or you know Speak, speaking to the crowd, yelling. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I All right. I totally misread you on that. I I would have put money on it that Bob's favorite song on Destroyer when he's twelve years old or thirteen would have been uh, "God of Thunder," completely. Well, I, I think maybe uh, we're talking now, so I think you would have been right. At, at at my young my young self, probably would have picked "God of Thunder" if I'm being honest, um, for sure. Uh, anything that had a little bit more of an edge, and it was a Gene thing for sure. But considering this a Paul song, I, I, I really lean more towards the Gene camp in this band. Uh, and and I and I did, it wasn't until later because I just assumed it was Gene's band <laughs> as a kid. I was like, this guy's yeah. got to be the fucking leader. Uh, you know, everybody's got us. We're probably scared of him and the, the rest of the guys. Right. <laughs> Gene calls all the shots, and you know, which was, you know, not real. Of course, not the truth. But uh, and Paul disagrees, and he goes, "Star Child," and he just. Freaks what out. else? What else is off of the album that you really love, man? 
I it really honestly, like I said at the top here, it, it, the whole sound is all encompassing. There's an odd, there's an odd echo to it. Um, there's, there's, like I said, weird piano being played. It just kind of sounds, um, I don't know, man. I, I can't, I can't say, you know, Detroit Rock City's awesome. King of the Nighttime World, awesome. God of Thunder, awesome. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. Flame and Youth, pretty damn good. Sweet Pain, awesome. Deep Cut, Shout It Out Loud, awesome. Beth, awesome. Yeah. Like, there's only a couple songs I don't play. Yeah. And I thought, I'm not even don't is awesome. You know? So yeah, we, we hadn't even just, uh, mentioned Detroit Rock City. There was like, <laughs> you know, the elephant I, in the room, right? I think as kiss fans, uh, hardcore kiss fans, there's a few things that you kind of think the other to the other kiss fan. They already know that. So why say that? True. Why go over this? This is obviously, and, 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 and we're, uh, we're also hosting a show right now. So we should definitely talk about Detroit rock city. Well, uh, if, they they did a good they a, another boost to Kiss's uh, fame was for that movie Detroit Rock City and they had a lot of cool stuff involved in that and yeah. uh, Kiss saw some more film time the first time I think they probably licensed their song to a film in quite a long time. Just like you too, uh, I had you know was I was into Kiss Alive two before that right and uh, so when I got it and brought it home Destroyer that is. The whole intro with the car, the guy getting in the car and starting it up, and the radio—it yeah. kind of freaked me. I was like, "What's this? What the hell is this?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, like maybe they accidentally on the t- made it onto the record accidentally somehow. Was, uh... <laughs> yeah. Well, all I knew was that like, "Kiss Alive 2 doesn't start like this. What's with the car? Yeah. <laughs> the guy pumping the gas in the radio. But it's pretty cool, you know. Um, at least they they tr- they were trying something different, and uh, it kind of works actually. I think, dude, they, they swung, they swung, and they hit pretty hard. Yeah, they did. Let's check out some pictures from 1976 for this tour. Man. We're actually moving on beyond that album, but... Yeah. Isn't that pre? That was. It made the, it made the cut because it's an ace pick. What can I tell you? Uh-huh. There you go. <laughs> didn't they keep these outfits throughout uh, Rock and Roll Over as well? I think they did. They just didn't, they didn't switch them up right. very much. I love that poster, man. Spirit of 76. It's, it's classic, dude. I had the lunchbox. I have that poster, man, in my closet. <laughs> nice, dude. The actual tour poster? Classic, yeah. You know, that stage show on the on Destroyer uh, tour was incredible and complicated, and they never – they only used it for a short time, dude. Yeah, I think here's a, a – um... They did away with it pretty quickly. They did, they did actually, and oh, you know what? I can't jump the gun on this one. Yeah, they. It was pretty odd. It, it doesn't seem like it made. It wasn't a like massive picture um, rotation from that tour. From from for some reason that one. I don't. I don't know really. I like it. The well, stairs are. I think it was too much. I mean, probably at the time, you know, for the crew and all that stuff. Because, uh, I mean, they got rid of that destroyer set real fast. <laughs> it was probably a hauling. It was probably a haul problem, but. We move from Destroyer on to... Rocket roll over. Right on. Another iconic cover. They just always nailed it. They always nail their album covers, dude. It was, And it was just so easy to do, I guess. Uh, you know, being... With the makeup and everything, it's oh man, I almost couldn't lose with the image as we were saying the other night too. Um, 
I'm sorry to pop the balloon, but I wanted to say one more thing about Destroyer. Do it. Done. I uh, just I had read a while back. Uh, Bob Ezrin said that he uh, he doubled all the bass lines with the low, you know, the bass clef on on a grand piano, and uh, it makes the album sound super orchestral, you know, or, or orchestral. So. On every song. Yeah, dude. That's what he said. And makes one hundred percent sense now, dude. And that he had done it on Alice Cooper albums, also uh, that he worked on, and it made wow. it just made it sound grand and you know just a lot. Like I said, orchestral man. Uh, whereas you know that's why that album sounds a lot. You know that's a big reason why that album sounds the way it does. Dude, that makes so much sense, man. That's something I did not know. Thank you for that, man. That makes a hundred percent sense because it's almost. The piano is almost uh, subliminal, if I'm being honest. Like you'll catch it exactly. only when the track is quiet enough for you to understand and catch that. And I, I, I've just heard it so many times where, I, especially, "Do You Love Me," dude. You know, like I can hear it throughout that song very clearly. It's almost oh, hidden on some other I ones. Barely hear it. Sometimes you're like, "No, it's the bass." Yeah. Whatever. Uh, it's almost there as kind of just support under the bass. So, like you said, it's almost subliminal. You know. Yeah. It's almost not there, but it does. Add you know, add something to the bass guitar. I guess that would mean he'd ask Gene to play really simple lines, which you know he always did, anyways. Usually, and uh, he wasn't killing it. Although that bass line for that track I just sent you uh, from that was supposed to be on his uh, singles with Eddie Van Halen. That's a, a little bit more movement from him, I think, on a song. I think Gene's an underrated bass player, anyway. You know, an underrated bass player and singer. Uh, and at the same time, kind of dude. Uh, but you're right. I think you're right. I, I I don't know that. I don't. You know. I don't really know that a lot of the guys get a lot of a lot of credit. Uh, Paul doesn't get credit for for. Oh, I think we lost Stony. Um, I don't think Paul got a lot of credit for what he did for the band. Uh, let's see if Stony gets back in here, guys. He dropped out. Technical difficulties. He's back, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> You clicked out of here. I got a, a rat chewing on a cord or something. Nice. Round and round. Sorry. Uh, what was your what were you saying before that, Bob? Uh no, I was just saying how it made makes complete sense, honestly. Like and, and when I use when I use the term orchestral or grand or large, that makes one hundred percent sense what you said. And, and, and I, there's definitely that feeling in that on that record. Probably why other existing fans kind of freaked out on it a little bit, you know. Definitely. Why, dude? Why are there proper instruments in there besides yeah. electric instruments? It doesn't make right. sense. Exactly. But sorry, on to your on to rock and roll over. Rock and roll over was another lost album in my house. I, I definitely had it. Uh, don't know when we got it. Um, you know, as Kiss, we started getting. You know, I guess maybe it was a money thing, but I don't. We always, I always seem to have all their freaking albums, so I don't. I don't know. <laughs> but um, starts off with a freaking killer. Uh, I mean, talk about, I mean, th those kinds of tempo changes, um, weren't really seen a whole hell of a lot back then in kiss catalogs and to start off all slow and in the morning and then boom, like, it's just so good. Um, and, uh, calling Dr. Love, uh, is another one of those that kind of changed my life. I think too. calling Dr. Love was, I, that was definitely my favorite kiss song for at least 10 or 15 years. Oh yeah, dude. Um, I loved. I would hear that on the radio once in a while, uh, down in the valley, and and uh, 
I mean, not often, but I would, so I would flip the fuck out when it, when Glenn Dr. Love came on the radio down there. And, and I, I will say, probably the, the Alive 2 version of Dr. Love. What's that? The Alive 2 version. No, no, it was always the studio. The studio. No, cut. no, no, for, for me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because that was burned in my head. And then I went back and, 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 I, oh, Dr. Love, what the hell? Yeah, that oh, oh. <laughs> you know what? Also, I guess all... on the studio version, uh, it always on the breakdown. There's like it sounds like nurses on the intercom. Yes, yes. I always, lo I always love that man. It's such a cool little touch, you know. God knows they did. They were smart about it. They they I definitely were. they they added showmanship to their music too somehow, which is just it does it doesn't make any sense yeah. how they did that, but they sure as they sure as hell did. Um. What's your what 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 has to what what were you referring to? I want you is maybe your favorite favorite song on the album or um making love probably. Oh yeah, dude. It's just so crunchy, dude. So riffy, right? It really is super riffy, dude. Um be another any other heavy metal band in the seventies or a hard rock band that uh you know it's a, it's a great riff, dude. I don't know that I, I explored this album enough as a youth. I think there was a couple on there that I liked and was like, all right, there I just have more catalog to dig into and, and dug into it a little bit more than rock and roll over for some reason. I think the more you tell me about that is you're more like everybody else, including myself, dude. Uh, I was completely entrenched and entrenched with Alive 2, Alive, and Double Platinum because why I was 12 years old and – well, these have two fucking albums in them each, you know. Why do I, you know, so I was slow to go back through their studio, their catalog. Uh, yeah. Where, let's face it, the first three albums, you didn't even get a a Kiss Army sign-up sheet or you didn't get right. any. Plus, <laughs> you know, older studio recordings. Um, you, you just got all this stuff in, in the double live albums, plus even, you know, Double Platinum had a, Again, it's a double album. You were, you really felt that, that you were getting more for the buck at that age, right? And it so, was all about the experience too. You know, people yeah. take take for granted uh, sitting down and listening to a whole a record album CD MP3. You can't do that anymore. But that's what it was. And then when you had a double album, then that was like longer you could spend, uh, and especially the live shit. Especially at that age, dude. Probably between yeah. the live two. Alive and Double Platinum, I probably spent a fucking year just listening to those three albums, you know? So, no, uh, no doubt. Yeah, that explains why I didn't, like you, I didn't, you know, I didn't, I did get Destroyer, but I, I was long in, in getting Love Gun and, and some of the uh, earlier stuff, Hotter Than Hell, etc. you know, also. Let's see. Oh, yeah, okay. Here's something I wanted to pop off real quick. I think this still may be part of the Destroyer era, but uh, I don't know that we we can't share this, so we have to. Ha, ha, ha. 
What? What? Nice, dude. That's awesome. Especially awesome in 1976. This is, uh, that was Anaheim. Nice, dude. Um, 1976. Yeah, the Destroyer, Destroyer Tour. It goes on for quite a bit longer, and it was it was actually very impressive. A lot of a lot of his solos were sort of mixtures of his song solos thrown in there, and you could you could pick songs that he that he took them from. That one is just if you heard it, super crunchy and odd, like it's like he's wearing extra rings on his hands. Yeah, because he, he always had that little humbucker thing. Uh, Paul Stanley used to uh, complain about that. Remember? Yes. About Ace's jewelry in the recording studio. Dude, it is. It's money, dude. It's part of the sound now. When I if I don't hear it, then I know that's not Ace. When I, when I hear the boop, boop, those little pops on the end yeah. of, it's it's just it's so fucking badass. Man. Another interesting thing about uh, Rock and Roll Over is uh, that was kind of like Kiss's Panic record. Um, they, yeah, because it was a second album they came out with that year. Yeah, they and they were uh, rushing around to like shit. You know, the the hardcore audiences pissed off about destroyer and they want another uh rock and roll you know, hard rock album and and uh kiss actually you know was in a rush and panicking <laughs> to try to get an, uh, put another album out that that would satiate their fans their hardcore base and damn it they didn't do it you know it's got some uh, real classics on it man i mean look it's this is like i said this is definitely not the album i've spent a lot of time on but ladies room awesome um mm-hmm. love them and leave them another one of those kind of swing back and forth tunes uh mr speed i didn't hear a whole hell of a lot it's that's a deep cut in my in my eyes i love um, it hard luck woman was it was a uh probably my definitely if i have to choose between hard luck woman and beth i'm taking hard luck woman all day long dude it's such a good song dude Me too. um and i know garth brooks did an amazing version of it that was that's great and it, it kind of fits right along in that in the country zone without being too country, but there's a lot of cool stuff going on there. And like you said, for an album that, that they feel felt like they had to push out in order to get the fans to forget about destroyer for some fucking reason. Yeah. Uh, they managed to pack a couple or a few damn good songs on that record, man. You know, it might be aside from the, uh, the dark heaviness of hotter than hell, which, which was their second album, obviously, but uh, mm-hmm. it might be their, their most rockin' record, dude, studio album, uh, released in the 70s. Because uh, it's, I mean, Making Love, um, I Want You, Calling Dr. Love, uh, Mr. Speed. I mean, there's some, there's some, oh, it's, it's riffing, dude, you know? Yeah, it is. <laughs> Finish almost. There's a couple of, you know, let, let ups, like Baby Driver, and um, that's the prerequisite Peter Chris song, right? Perfect. Right. But uh, Ladies' Room is cl- pretty classic, straight ahead. Like I said, you know, four on the floor there, man. What's uh, in the Ladies' Room? Take uh, Take Me is excellent, too, dude. Take yeah, me. that high. <laughs> take yeah. Me! Uh, great song, actually, man. It's got an odd timing to it. Uh, yeah, very, yeah, even this, even like I was just singing, like I can't do that very well, but the, <laughs> the, the, har- the harmonies are bizarre on it, man, but it works, dude. There's just something, I don't know, man. Kiss could really do no wrong in my eyes for a very long time. Same here. Uh, especially, well, especially pre-solo albums, dude. Yes. And uh, they, uh, well, they had internal cracks, but 
Hell, as a, as a 13, 12-year-old kid, I, I, I saw no cracks <laughs> in their armor at all. You know? We and obviously we didn't know until later on and after the albums that certain band members weren't playing on certain parts of the albums. Um, you know, it, it, it they did a decent job yeah. of hiding, um, you know, it, they, they, their work ethic was insane. It's like any other job. You leave your personal shit at the door when you go to work. And those guys did that, man. It was yeah. fucking business. And, and that's really um, the one thing that they uh, get shit and credit for at the same time. And I, I tend to lean more on giving them credit for it. They weathered a lot of storms being businessmen without being work ethic. Uh, emotional humans. Work ethic was second to none, man. Uh, you get, like I said, I had a rant, I ran on a big rant on the last, the first episode, but uh, nobody outworked Kiss, dude, in the seventies. Those guys were insanely busy and insanely at it uh, day in, day out, basically, man, you know, but uh, they were killing it, dude. Yeah, uh, I think uh, uh, I like I love Destroyer, and you know, in hindsight, and look as we sit now, uh, I love Destroyer, and I love uh, Rock and Roll Over, too. It's really got some good songs on it. It's nice. July twenty eighth, nineteen seventy six. Wow, dude! Sweet. That's when they did the uh, Paul Lind Halloween special, also in seventy. Oh, oh no way! That's crazy, man. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Lind, man, I, it's just oh, that's so fucking badass, dude. Great memories, man. Yeah, but that that actually uh, that had a lot of exposure for them, man. That show, believe it or not, you know, um, it was perfect timing. Halloween, you know, like it's just it was just it was right it was right right where it needed to be, man. Oh. And as a as a kid who was born on. Um, you know, the day before on uh, Devil's Night, it was something yeah. I was not going to miss and certainly didn't miss. Another interesting factoid is because uh, they had Bob Ezrin on on um, Destroyer. Well, yep. they, they returned to Kramer for uh, Rock and Roll Over, correct? <sighs> let's take a look. Let's 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 dive deep here because I think we'd have to went back to the production chair. I'm gonna have to squint and turn my head sideways for this one. Oh, <laughs> they screwed with us on that one. It is Eddie Kramer, but uh, okay. And uh, they recorded it in a empty theater, right? An That's old insane. on the stage and uh, around the theater, but um, an old dilapidated or or at least closed uh, theater that wasn't in function anymore, and. Uh, Shit. It's you know they got great results, man. So a straight up rock and roll record, dude. It definitely is a straight up rock and roll record. <laughs> rock and roll over. <laughs> that's just well, that's just you, so man, great. What are, you, what are you waiting for? Yeah, you're right. And I don't. You know what's odd though is that, that was they actually had a really really good a good uh, opportunity right then and there to make a great song that's called Rock and Roll Over, and they didn't make a song called Rock and Roll Over. I that sounds like a fucking great Kiss song, like. I don't know, man. Never uh, just, you know, do it, get it done, man, or something. Maybe it sucked. Maybe yeah. there was one, and Kramer was like, "This sucks," and <laughs> <laughs> just call the record that. You know, I don't know. I'm just, uh, uh, you know, guessing. You know, Eddie a, freaking Kramer. Yeah. But, yeah, it's a great album, and again, it was one of those that was that disappeared for a while, but uh, it's it's an iconic picture in my head, so it never went away. The just just the you know it's just so symmetrical this cover 
and so beautiful and they have their their own uh, um personas behind them which i thought was smart um yeah i didn't quite get i got that it was an angel for for paul but i don't really know how that came to be in an angel thing i thought i think maybe like kisses and hearts would have probably been a little bit too (laughs) a little little too too soft (laughs) a little a little valentiny or something now listen yeah, I like that. <laughs> uh, I guess he could have put some more stars around his head or something, right? Maybe, or then it would look like he. I don't want to look like I got punched. You know what I mean? That's true. Like, seeing stars or something. There's always something. We could shoot it down with a bunch of stuff, and and with the 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 masculinity the way it was back in '77, he didn't want to fuck with it. That's true. I mean, he pushed the he was pushing the envelope as it were. You he know, was big time. He, I tell the story a lot, but the how I was able to um, get my hands on. <laughs> I show this a lot. Oh, where is it? Um, Come on, show me it. Ladies getting anxious. (laughs) Yeah, I was getting late. Oh, I think I took it out and forgot to put it back. I don't know where it is now. Damn it. Uh, So so. I got a, uh, the the one and only kiss. Well, here it is. From a live worldwide, that's a that's a guitar pick. Oh shit! And, and that's actually confetti. Oh, real, real kiss confetti. Actual <laughs> kiss confetti that I got from being at the front row, that's and that's awesome. how everyone was on the train on the way home. Like, oh, you were in the front row. You got you you got confetti on you. But um, probably that didn't beat you up, or dude. You know. I, <laughs> you know what? Considering where I was, you're uh, you're right. Yeah. Um. But so anyway, I got that because uh, Paul Stanley put it in his mouth and swirled it around and flicked it at me, or maybe not even at me, but I got it. <laughs> I picked it up. I think I might have, uh, I, he, it might have been intended for a lady, and I did not let that lady get it. <laughs> you knocked uh, her down and, and grabbed the pick. But but let me tell you, there was a, it, it was, it was very, um, God, and I don't want to fucking sound like an asshole here, but it was just I didn't make a lot of eye contact with Paul. <laughs> and 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 listen, there's no reason for it. Because right. for the for most of the show, I was like this at Gene. Right. Gene, it was like he was 90 feet above me. And and you know, now that I, you know, when I look at the uh, the footage, because I'm able to see the footage from it, um, I realized that the show wasn't exactly as big as I thought it was. Um right. but there was just something about being in the front row and just being one. I was just 100% uh, in awe of, uh, I'm sure of were, Gene. Part of me was conflicted about actually touching it after it had been in his mouth. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know, you said it wasn't as big as you thought as far as the show or the production. Uh, I think it's because we all pumped it up so huge in our brain, in our minds, you know, in the seventies that, uh, by the time we actually saw Kiss, it was like, oh, it's kind of like everybody else, you know, in a way. As far as maybe, size, you know, lighting, lighting, uh, structure, and all, all that kind of stuff. Stress. So know. I'll just show it really quick. Um, this is the show, the first Kiss concert I ever went to, the actual show. Back in the Miami groove, we love you people. What do you mean, you people? So this is the stage. 
as you can see, it's really nothing. There's no pyro. And so here's this, this the problem I have with it all was after they did the unplugged thing, uh, mm -hmm. Gene's famous words were, we're going to show the young, the little kids exactly how to do it. And we're going to bring everything. We're going to blow everything up. We're going to explode right. everything. There was not, I don't think there were pyrotechnics at that concert. It would, And as much as I love the idea now, I think back then I was expecting the lights and, 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 and the staircase and just something from the era. And I, I didn't get it. It was, but it was, again, it was a stripped down version of that tour. And, um, uh, I was expecting more, but it didn't take anything away from it for me. I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought that up, dude, because that, that's 96, right? Yes. I was uh, kind of disappointed in their stage, too, because uh, I always thought Kiss, first of all, looks way cooler when, when there's like fog, you know, and right. jeans creeping around in thick fog. And again, like you, I wanted to see stairs on, on the side of the drum kit. And it seemed kind of big and empty <laughs> to me and, and too clear. You know, there was no fog, no 70s fog, you know, no lurking, nothing lurking around. In the 70s, it seemed that there was a bigger creep factor Yeah, with Kiss. And uh, when they, you know, yeah, they did it big when they came back in 96, and it was cool. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. But, yeah, I thought it was a little sterile and, and, and just empty and big, dude, myself. Now that I look back on it and, and kind of understand the relationship they had, and really how bad the tour was for, for Ace and Peter, uh, at least in terms of their pride, they got, they got crap money for it compared to Gene and Paul, obviously, but Gene and Paul put the work in the whole time. Right. I really think they said to themselves, look, man, we're going to do this, but we're not bringing $90 million worth of equipment out there because what if, what if Peter and Ace fuck up? And what if we have, what if we shit the bed six, six shows in and we're, you know, we're ripping our, uh, our 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 outfits or something. There's a bunch of stuff going on. I think they just didn't want to take the chance. And 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 it, the show that you and I went to at the Alamo Dome, uh, which I have that stub too, um, the uh, that that production was way bigger. Mm, yeah, way bigger. But sorry, we're jumping off on the wrong tangent. Uh, you may be right, and who knows? You know, it's probably it. But we were uh, we were in '76. Let's let's take a trip down to 1977. Love gun. Right on. Another one of those pretty I don't know, man. Love Gun's a great fucking album. <laughs> yeah, How about that and, cover? And How about that cover, man? Another one. Another one that where where uh they they're able to live up to that uh that comic book persona that everyone loved them for. Uh it's probably I think I stared at this. Oh yeah, dude. A lot more than most Kiss albums, probably no. because of the heaving-breasted women in the crowd there. But that's also it's Ken Kelly again, right? So it's the same guy artist that uh, delivered uh, Destroyer for him. Those fucking marble pillars are yeah. so detailed and badass. That's probably my favorite cover, dude. In the seventy, from the seven, you know, probably period. It really did all of them justice. They all look like huge, massive superheroes. Yeah. And I mean, uh, you know, Ace and Peter don't probably don't feel very small on that one. But to me, the one of the most memorable portions of this album was this. Yes, dude. I mean, yeah. that record sleeve, dude. I, I I don't know what I picture. I think I might have thought it's probably on a wall somewhere. But you know, as, as you can as you can see, it's probably a graphic thing. But 
uh, I was wondering, wow, how did it stick to the wall? Oh, because it's blood for <laughs> sure, dude. That, that's the that's the reason. Why. How did they get to? In reality, they shot they shot down right on the on the floor, you know. Right. Yes, uh, indeed. But it's I still. I'm just like, how sick I didn't is that? Get it out, but I have a uh, love gun vinyl uh, with that sleeve and and the gun, dude. Still, fuck. And I did not fish it out for the show. God damn it. We believe you. I hope so. So we're going through the uh, through the track list on this one, and 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 man. So Love Gun obviously comes out right and just hits you with a with a with a machine gun. And then they kind of mellow out for Got Love for Sale, uh, a very trippy song. Um kind of cool, you know. Kind of cool, though. Very cool. I'm not I'm definitely not bagging on it. Tomorrow and tonight, another good rocker. Mm -hmm. Um Christine 16, something that was not allowed to be spoken about somewhere after about 79 or 80. <laughs> I don't think uh it seemed to be a very common theme, though, talking about young teenage girls and songs in the 70s. So it wasn't just Gene here. Right. Um, right. Almost Human. Super trippy. What a funky, great song. Yeah. Uh, Plaster Caster. Shock Me. Then She Kissed Me. Yeah, I don't really talk about that a lot. Uh, I Still Your Love and Hooligan. This album rocks ass. Oh, yeah. It is definitely one of the best fucking Kiss albums. And I can't say anything bad other than then 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 she kissed me. But I also have a soft spot in my heart for the original version of it. I heard it a lot as a kid uh, uh, from my mom, and then it's all over. It's in a very memorable scene in Goodfellas, and every time I hear the original version, I think of the Kiss version. Oh. So they did they did something there. So right, they got me there. But the album's so good. I don't even know why they chose to not just record it, but why why put it on Love Gun, dude? You know. Uh, I don't know. You know, <laughs> I would like to know what they were thinking. Though they've never really talked about. It. I've never heard them talk about. It. Why would they do that? You know. Okay, I, you know, it sounds kind of like who is uh, producing on this one, dude? Uh, Eddie Kramer. Yep. Two Engineered by Eddie Kramer, and uh, I think we lost our friend Marino. Well, oh, the mastering, you mean? Yes. Well, um, he probably mastered it anyways, dude. Oh no, it was Sterling Sound, so it must have been him. He did, his yep. name is just not on it, so yeah, he was the guy. But uh, so there you go, two in a row, right? For um, Kramer, yeah, and they both sound a lot alike. They both rock pretty damn hard, dude. Uh, what did you say? Uh, I stole your love, right? No, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, it's on there, right? Yeah, dude, that that song. Yeah. That song is great, dude. That's a good one. The Love drums one. are impressive. The the beginning, all of it is is very very good, dude. And again, this is a super strong album. It's definitely one of. It's got to be a favorite. I mean, that's a Paul Stanley song plus Love Gun is too, dude. He was kind of hitting a a really a, a real stride here, man. Could you pick one? Could you pick your all time on this one? <sighs> oh. <laughs> I stole your love, dude. I'm going with Plaster Caster, dude. Really? That's shocking, dude. Wow. It's it's it, I played it so much, knowing absolutely nothing about the lyrical content of it whatsoever. It didn't. I didn't. I didn't. It didn't click at all at all what it was about. Of course, it didn't. Right. Not at all, dude. And again, I do love. I stole your love, and these are all classic. But I, for some reason, if I was to have an album in front of me right now, I would automatically go to Plaster Caster first, wow. and then come back to Denon in it. You know. Yeah, it's, it's there's something about that, man. It's just 
I uh, really and also I'm a drummer. I love the bop on it. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely I've always loved uh drum forward songs or songs that have a, at least a good a, a groovy tempo to it that's a little up. Yeah, I kind of dig bass forward songs too. <laughs> so I know what you're talking about, man. Um yeah, I stole your love, dude, and love gun. Those are uh straight up probably the best in my opinion, the best songs on the album, dude. And uh as far as uh just sheer sheer songwriting, you know. Uh strong fucking album though, dude. I love those two songs a lot, man. I'm almost human. <laughs> it's just, that's, that's almost oh. like uh, God of Thunder part two. Yeah, dude. It's it it's and that's another it's very funky, dude. Like, there's a lot of hidden funk in that band, dude. They don't really want to talk about how funky they were, but dude, they were. There's a lot of actually. I always thought, you know, uh, especially the way he, yeah, he <laughs> moves. Like you said in the other episode, of the first episode, uh, he's, he's shaking his dong in your face, dude. always, <laughs> the whole time, the whole entire time. Yeah, <laughs> I saw the bottom of his boots a lot, man. Because, like I said, my brother somehow he got we got. Front row, first and second seat, man. Wow. He got the. He, I think he got the. I think he got the aisle. But yeah, we were dead center, dude. And man, I just, I, I just, I don't know, man. That that I can't even imagine going to like the Alive Two show, front row. Oh. Even though they probably would have been places where they were a little bit pulled back because they always kind of seem like they were fifty feet in the air whenever they played. But yeah, man, this 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 album, man, it's another one of those vibe albums. I feel like it, it feels like the '70s, just kind of like uh, Destroyer does to me. Yeah, um, absolutely, dude. It's so iconic too. Um, also, it's Ace's uh, first first lead vocal. You're right. After the uh, the Florida incident, walking down uh, yep. walking down the stairs, man, and and and, and catching that shock, dude. Shocked me, and what a great vocal debut by ace i mean you know it's, it's, he's not Pavarotti, right but <laughs> but hey, it was Pavarotti. <laughs> kind of cool that he had his own kind of vocal personality and and he finally you know the world finally got to hear what it, you know what 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 it was you know it's kind of cool he finally got the nerve up yeah and love and again it, 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 i'm happy they did that they probably could have given him a lot more opportunity but you know what, it, what? I think maybe they looked at it at the song overall and was like, "It's kind of. It's not only. It's not only cool. It, there's a. There's a meaning behind it. And who knows? Maybe they were laughing at him or like, "Fuck it, let's put the song on the album." He, he shocked himself like an idiot. You know, like well, that's probably have, what they're thinking. They had been after him for quite a few years, man, to to sing. I mean, take a lead vocal, you know. And he was just too shy and uh, gun shy about it. So, uh, I guess you know they finally talked him into it. But great, great one to start off with him as you know. Pretty He's cool. back in the Miami groove. <laughs> <laughs> I love Christine 16 too. The, 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 the piano's in that one too, man. Like it, it's, there's, there's, they found some weird things uh, in, in this groove of 76 to 77 that I am absolutely in love with. And they just never did it again. I'm not um, saying this in a, in a, any kind of a bad a negative way, but uh, Christine 16 is kind of a candy pop. You know that you know what it I mean? sort of is, yeah, yeah. I think it's I think you, a candy pop song. Here. If and you strip it down, you could have given it to Sean Cassidy or Leaf Garrett, and totally, totally, man. Gene's uh, the only thing that makes it perverse because <laughs> 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 it's definitely not the you know the music's kind of cool, classic, easy, almost well, not easy listening, but it, it's just yeah. 
dead rock and roll, almost like fifties rock and roll. You know, I don't usually say things like this to girls your age. Bullshit. <laughs> we've got pictor. We've got evidence that you do, Gene. This picture made both both episodes. Now, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're right, one hundred percent. We're gonna. He's not gonna live it down, and he doesn't want to. That's just that's just yeah. the way Gene was. But uh, yeah, dude. You know, Love Guns is is. is Maybe maybe pinnacle man, and maybe a peak for them. If I'm being honest, I don't I don't know that um, they got any high any higher. Yeah, uh, they were at their peak, complete peak, in uh, following this album, this tour. You know, seventy. Yeah. There was a uh, they. Well, I mean, like there was a lot of internal strife and and cracks, man. But we didn't. They were brilliant at keeping that out of the. Uh, well, there was no internet at the time, and right or even press. There was just people were too busy. There there was. 15 other things you were going to put in your newspaper about kiss right before you were going to dig about any sort of strife and it big deal at rock and roll rock stars partied back then they don't that's not news you know uh, maybe if you get arrested or you od that's news but uh not for long you know i mean they definitely weren't well as a unit uh at this right but uh yeah i mean not just them you didn't know that about any of the bands there's you know you read the articles that were three months old by the time you got your hands on them and that's uh, the truth. Like you said, uh, they were talking bands up in the seventies, not trying to pull them down, you know? Yeah. Let's go. Uh, let's see. Let's see some of the, some of the pictures from this tour. Actually, you know what? Let's go ahead. Let's check this out. Let's go back of the time machine and check out 1977. And we get the new outfits as well here. The 77 outfits. You are the best, but you got the best. The hottest bad in the world. Yes! Sammy the Serpent. Yep. those staircases man fucking lights it's awesome dude yeah. uh, look at the fog dude so good man the fog on the stage How about that delay on his vocals? How about that mad delay on his vocals, dude? <laughs> <laughs> Woo! He's, and he, and instead of instead of being careful with it, fuck it, he just yells in the in the in the mic, dude. Yeah. Oh man, what a, you know that that I, I I love the album that we're about to discuss so much that this is just sort of like. This time frame, um, that, God, dude, the, the Love Gun outfits were, were killer, dude. They, they're killer. They really were. Yes, man. Damn. Yeah, that um, that reminded me of the uh, the inside, the uh, what do you call it, the uh, the center of a uh, live two that you yep. were just that you were just showing. He's got a headband on right there, I think. Oh, no, it's probably just his hair. Yeah, probably so. Wow. 
And here are like some of the most like the iconic pictures that we know and love. There you go. That's the love gun. Yeah, tour. Yeah, they're killing it, dude. They're right there, dude. That's the stride, man. Sammy. Sammy the serpent. <laughs> and I was hook, line, and sinker, dude, in 77. Again, I was I was uh, 10 years old in 77. So uh, I thought maybe there was like three bands in the world, and they were one of them, dude. You know, and I, and I, and I wasn't interested in the other two. Yeah. What's funny is Gene and Paul probably thought the same thing. There aren't any other bands now, are there, Paul? Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on to the pinnacle here. Kiss Alive 2. Nice, dude. So when I think, uh, when I, when I, say this album to somebody when they say, Hey, so what's the album that, intro that introduced you to kiss or what's your favorite kiss album? What's your favorite? I always say kiss alive too. I never say alive too. Uh, it's always kiss alive too, for some reason. And I think maybe it just got burnt in my head because of the cover. It's actually on Kiss's name is on there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was, I always say kiss alive too. Yeah, I, 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 I don't go around it. Yeah. No, that's it. It's a, it rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Yeah, da -da -da -da. yeah, definitely. Yeah, that gatefold, that gatefold is is uh, insane, dude. And let me ask you something. I, I've actually got. I think I have the picture here. If I didn't, let me see if I. Okay, so here's the, here's let's let's pop up the gatefold real quick, and then I'll throw the comparison up there because. Da -da -da -da. Okay, so there we go. Mm -hmm. So, so kids, when you uh, purchased these vinyl records back in the days, if there were two of them, well, they can't just put them in the same sleeve because they'd rub up against each other and scratch. So they put them on two sides of it. And then as you opened up the record, there was an opportunity for you to see a picture enlarged in front of you. And this right here is one of the most memorable pictures. I don't even know if I thought that that was a... Um, a blanket or, or, or a drape coming off of the risers. Yeah. Uh, I honestly thought that he stayed up on that the whole entire time because right. obviously <laughs> that's, that's what they want you to believe. But right. this is something interesting I found on, on the interwebs and I want to know what you have to say about it. So this right here. So I am told that the top is the original photo from this and that the bottom is actually a doctored version of that album cover that mm. they, they now I don't under I don't necessarily believe it um because I know that they blew every single bit of their uh pyrotechnics off at the same exact time for that shot. I just don't know whether the bottom and top is now. I haven't really looked at found a lot of stuff on the net to say otherwise, but a couple articles I've said I've read lead me to believe that this was a doctored photograph. But you know, uh, I don't know either that the answer to that, but I would I would lean to believing that because look at those fire columns on the bottom that you actually got in the release of of Kiss Alive Two. They're too yeah. just perfect, dude. Not only perfect, they're they're the explosions uh, or the the cloud portions of them look dangerously close to them. And exactly. if you look at the top picture compared to the bottom, while uh, they're all posed differently. Yeah. So it could have been sort of a sequence where right at the very beginning is the top, and then when the final explosion happens, that's when they get to that pose. So uh, I, I don't would, know. I thought I, I thought would, it was maybe. 
I would have to believe it, dude, because like you said, just just this from the sheer heat alone, the uh, the one on the bottom that you're that's in question, uh huh, official one, right? Yes. Uh, that's just you know a little too close for comfort. I believed it. Like I said, yeah, hook, line, and sinker, dude. That's yep. what they. You know, that's the Kiss concert in '77 that I was looking at every day in my bedroom. You know, uh, now wishing I was there. Yeah, with you saying that now, though, about the the pyro, that totally makes sense now, dude. Because that's that's just too too perfect a photo, really. And like you said, that that ball on top of those those uh, fire columns are just going to be too way too hot, dude. For them, yeah, that was pretty heavy. Mark Ruiz, what's up, man? Good to see you, brother. It's been a long time, Mark. I know. Time. Is that crazy or what? <laughs> but yeah, man, I, 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 from there on out, it's like, look, if, if, if you were to just, um, given me a few albums from kiss, I would have been a fan, but that album, forget it, man. Yep. Forget about it. <laughs> it, just, it. It wrecked me, dude. It completely wrecked me. And, uh, I was never the same after that. <laughs> <laughs> they, they fucking had me, man. They had me hardcore, dude. Absolutely. Uh, Oh, and you know the crowd noise on two, uh, Kiss Alive Two is even more extreme than than the crowd noise on Alive. It's way over the top. The, the energy on a uh, Kiss Alive Two, it's crazy, dude. It's like deafening between 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 the tracks. You know, it's holy shit, man. Let's see some more footage, man. It's such a great time. I was obviously we weren't ever. I wasn't able to go to this tour, so I need to time travel here. What was I? This is a live to the Lost Tokyo concert from 1977. Wow. This is for Mark right here, huh? Some little drums. You really like my You <laughs> right on dude sounds uh, sounds actually not half bad considering when it was recorded yeah <laughs> exactly. you did this fucking calisthenics thing for like a uh, dude for years dude and, and i remember watching the uh he was either doing i or, or or it was like back and forth dude on the on like the houston show that everyone saw a million times like that's great dude that's good shit <laughs> fucking gene dude i love him to death man. Oh. Um, oh. God, the energy was insane on fucking Kiss Alive too. I think that's what that's what wrecked us and wrecked me, dude. For life, You're right, you know. Um, and I and oh, I had a little small story real quick. Uh, yeah, bring it. I had mentioned uh, on the first episode about purchasing uh, as like my first album, Kiss Alive Two, right? So I get home with it, and uh, you know, I, obviously I knew this. Uh, I didn't have a turntable in my room, right? Even though I just bought Kiss Alive 2, I'm staring at it, you know. So I have to go into this deal with my older sister. Uh, she's like, you can only use it when I'm not in my room. You have to use headphones. And when I come back, you have to leave. You know, basically my older sister, right? Those are the rules of the of the room, the other bedroom. So she's got her record player up on a chest of drawer. So plug in the cans, the giant 70s cost cans. 
crank it up as you would. And uh, it blew my mind even more, dude. Because it, <laughs> you know, it was so fucking loud and it was right there. And I told another buddy about this, but uh, on another podcast, but uh, it, you know, then we should come in and oh, I have to take it off and put it back in and go back to my room and just continue staring at it. You know, right. And, and, and desperate. You know, when's the next time? When's the next time I can, you know, keep listening to this? So uh, it, I was probably 12 and it, it, it like when I say it wrecked me, it, it really did because uh, again, I'm, just, I'm using these giant headphones, dude, and I'm looking at the, not just the uh, the inside, you know, the gatefold, but the the back, where jeans all covered in blood, and it was it was just overload, dude. It was way too much for the senses for of a of a twelve year old kid. Yeah, know? and if you were into horror of any kind or uh, any of that shit, the imagery, dude, it was just. Dude, it's just it's just fucking cool, man, and it's so beautiful, dude. Like yeah, dude. every color of the fucking rainbow is represented, and then you've got the black, the dark black and white, and the green on Pete. Like it's just, you know. And I don't even care that they added blood to this later on, and it doesn't make a difference to me, dude. No, you know, no. it doesn't make a fucking bit of difference. Like that, that that no. that the set list is like a dream set list for a Kiss album. The production the live production end of kiss Alive 2 is seems to be even more sh shrouded in more more mystery than uh alive as far as how it was produced don't hear yeah. about alive too all that much you know we know how uh, all these years later how how live kind of came to be in the in the studio you know with the live drum tracks from alive but right 75 but uh Again, the Alive 2 is kind of shrouded where, you know, I wonder what really went on because uh, is Pete still at the top of his game by, by 77? You know, I don't know, you know. But um, how did they pull this off? You know, I'd, I'd really like to know more about the production of the, of the live section of the album, which is three-fourths of it, right? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how much is out there regarding that. And I can't really say with much confidence that when I was young that I even knew that that fourth side um, was uh, a studio situation. I, I think I think just listening to the crowd noise for the first three sides, I think I might have put it in my head for those tracks at the end. It was just sort of like I played it in there, yeah, or maybe it was just where I kind of heard crowd. But You're like, man, the crowd's real quiet on, on side four. <laughs> But dude, it just—I mean, fucking all America. Those songs on the fourth side are awesome. Every last one of them, "Larger Than Life" is probably one of my favorite. But uh, you know what? "All American Man" is by far one of my favorite all-time Kiss songs. That's another sure. all-song, great vocal performance from Paul. Dude, uh, dude, how about "Rocket Ride," man? I know, <laughs> it's so good, man. Look at this set list, man. Detroit, King of the Nighttime World, Meet You, Greet You in the Ladies' Room. Uh, I mean, dude, these songs are this is heavy hitter stuff right here. Making love, dude. Uh, dude. Love all of them, dude. I mean, yeah, this this is it's off the charts with energy, too. It crackles with energy, it really does, dude. It, even you know, tomorrow and tonight, and then flipping that record over this to the to the to the second or the third side, and then gang, uh, still your love starts off. That you know, they take you through this little journey, man, and 
that fourth side is just icing on the cake, man. Like I, 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 I will play. I think I play that side as much as I've played any of the other sides on those. Uh, or, or for people who don't own records, not sides, but those tracks. I want to flip back over to side three for a second. How about that impromptu vocal uh, thing with the audience on the end of uh, that Paul does on the end of uh, "I Want You." Oh, ah, wow, wow, wow! Accents every time he says something, it's it's so cool, dude. It really is, man. They 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 had it they had it right, man. And again, I think every all the experiences that you see uh, between a band on stage uh, intimately and the crowd at the time, or, most of that stuff is formed because of Paul and Gene and the way that they did that back in the days. I'm not saying they created this but they brought it to the forefront and they let you know if you're going to be in a band from here on out you not only have to play good you have to do what we do you have to at least bring what kiss brings which is the showmanship and and yeah. and paul or, or, or paul talking like he was born in new orleans uh in a swamp in like you know 1942 or something like it's just like there's these personas that they had preaching rock and roll dude yeah. he he that's that might be it man you think that's He's preaching uh, the gospel, dude. You know, the gospel and according to Paul. But uh, you know, I even liked, uh, which is strange, I guess. But I don't know how you feel about it. Um, any way you want it on the that side four studio cover. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. Five song, right? It's all right. <laughs> That's all really? we don't want to thought about it. It's all right. That's the way it will be. Um, it's a strange choice. I guess they were Dave Clark fans, dude. I, I'm pretty sure they were or are. Um, I was going to say it's a strange song to select to do, but I, I it guess is. Dave Clark's a five fan, then it's not so strange, you know. It's this. It's the backbone of their music, man. Very simplistic, straightforward. You know, fifties, sixties, yeah, rock and roll, dude. Like. Um, and I didn't think at that age. I thought this is just another Kiss song. You know, I'm like, you know, I didn't even think of thing of them playing what he covers at the time. You know. Yeah, and 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 I, even even if so, they were covers that had not been played for a long time, and it's certainly not anything, um, you know, that would stand out in your head. Like, oh, I remember hearing that, and you know, the summer of '57. Why are these kids in '78 doing it? You know. <laughs> well, nobody really was. I mean, unless you were a lot older at the time, right? But, Judas Priest was playing Diamonds and Rust from Joan Baez at the time. You know. Wow. So uh, there's that too, you know. <laughs> there's all that. The, all over the place. So yeah, this album just blows up. It's almost like buying an explosion when you're 12 years old and taking <laughs> <laughs> in a package, you know. And you get to hear it over and over again. Yeah. The fuse always lights, it always blows up when you want it to. Yeah, you blow it up over every day, dude. You know. Yeah, I can't say enough. I don't know that I can find if, um, I, as we both said, I'm in love with this version of Calling Dr. Love. It's the first version of Calling Dr. It's the first version of all these fucking songs I ever heard. Um, and and I, what's amazing to me about it is the songs on off of Love Gun and, and even um, and Destroyer, obviously, but even Rock and Roll Over and things that made it on here, they they translate well when I went back, when I heard them, I didn't, there was, it wasn't like a subtraction other than like crowd noise and stuff. Right. The, yeah, they right. managed to just, they took the energy and just jumped it a little bit higher on these, on the concert, obviously, but exactly. they dude, they're just like good versions. They're a lot heavier and louder and faster. And obviously, you know, most everything is on live albums. It's not just kiss, you know, 
that that's across the board almost. Uh, but uh, yeah, Colin Doctor loves much heavier sounding. Uh, and then as I was saying earlier, Christine Sixteen for such a, a candy kind of pop song, uh, it kind of sounded like on the on record. It's actually heavier too. You know, I don't know how you can make a song like that heavier, but they did. You know? and, and, yeah, it is very heavy. You're right. No piano on the live version. It's just gong 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 gong. Yeah. So uh, and making love, dude. All that stuff on that album is uh, on a live too. Is just cranking. Man, yeah. I don't know. Let's see. Can you can you try and pull? Can you try and pull a favorite off of that one? Let's let's go. Uh, album uh, album one. What's your favorite on album one? Damn, dude, that's hard. Uh, <laughs> I gotta say, uh, Kayla Nighttime World. I'm going with Shock Me on this one, man. Oh, I thought you meant side side one. Oh, I, no, like the the first album. I yeah, the first time. So, now, Bob. Let's go through one through ten on the on the left side here. Oh, you know what? I still gotta say, hey man, make it love though, dude. Damn. Whoa, whoa. I gotta say it's a tie between uh, King of the Nighttime World and Making Love, dude. Yeah, I'll go with Carl calling Dr. Love and shock me for that first side. We're, we're definitely if 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 grooves were able to get bigger, I would have I would have driven a cavern into that record just from those two tracks. Nice. Um, how about and we can let's 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 take out the studio side from the second uh uh side album and let's go with one through five. Which one uh, do you like there the most? I stole your love, dude. All day long, dude. Yeah. No question. Because if you weren't blown away from the first hits the you first right. and second side, yeah, you throw that other one, and it's just like kank. Kank. Like, oh my god, dude. Yeah, and then, and then they just Beth is the very next track. Then you have the like Super evil version of a, uh, you know, God of Thunder. It is very slow and deep. Let me ask you a question, man. What does he scream during the drum solo? Oh shit! It's almost like uh, I don't know. I could never make that out, dude. That's a great question, man. I don't know, man. I I I would I would have met. I don't know. I'm not even gonna try. Yeah, I I always tried to figure out what he was saying there, dude. And it's kind of in the distance, like almost like he's way back from the mic and he's screaming, right? Right, as he's like puking, you know, or spitting blood. So, uh, I, and somebody says it has something to do with Peter Chris, like Chris, Chris, uh, Peter Chris, or Chris on the drums, or something like that, you know. But I, I could never hear it, you know, really. That's always crazy, dude. What the hell he's talking what he's saying there, and why they didn't—if they weren't going to make it clear—why didn't they just like take it off of the of the recording or or try and find a way to mute it? But yeah, that's crazy, man. You know what else is really cool about this album, dude? And nobody ever really talks about it, but the 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 explosions or the uh, not, not the actual, but not the explosions themselves, but the the uh, the sound of them. You know, right? Well. They come in on songs sometimes, like on the beginnings of songs, like the beginning of the the verse or what have you. Mm-hmm. Uh, completely on beat, dude. Right. <laughs> on, on time, you know. And uh, that's that's amazing. I mean, I think they did that, in, obviously in post, dude. Post, post. I stole your love is probably the one I think that we you know because because of how kink. Yeah. Kink. Yeah. 
I think they had to do all that the uh, in post production, dude. I mean, yes. Uh, come on, Dan. It was just so perfect, dude. All the concussion bombs. That's what I was trying to say. Not, not or they had like the greatest, uh, the greatest pyro team in the world, which could easily be the case as well. So yeah, they probably had a spoon up their nose though at the time. So <laughs> maybe they weren't the greatest <laughs> pyro team at the time. Who knows? You know, but like you speculate, right? But I, I think a lot, well, a lot of things were done to our life too in the studio. That's for that's sure. Like, that's the point I'm trying to make. You know. But, and uh, so what what songs on the fourth side here and and you know I, I don't think we don't have to pick one I, I probably will take Jesus I don't know man that's too it's too all American man's probably my favorite but rocket rides ridiculous uh, larger than life is ridiculous mm -hmm. which songs on here um do you remember where where ace or Peter was not present dude I at that age in time I I, I thought they that's ace really and Peter Chris playing on side four you know I didn't know any better, and uh, nobody ever told me any different either. I mean, people weren't talking about that stuff for uh, several more years, and yeah, at least like it didn't matter. Yeah, and they had us fold, and they had us fold good. You know, um, I don't think because it you couldn't get away with all that now nowadays. You know, was it uh, Bob Kulik and and Anton on this one, or uh, who who were the musicians? There's also I've heard Rick Derringer's on one of those tracks. Uh, there you go. Uh, Bob Kulik, uh, Anton Fig, uh -huh. who, knows, who knows who else is on there? They were probably like, let's talk to those Steely Dan fellas and see what kind of session players they have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> shock, it wouldn't shock me if uh, it shocked me. It wouldn't ah. shock, yeah. <laughs> shock me if Gene's not even playing the bass on All American Man and vice versa, dude. You know, I mean, I'm not saying they didn't. I'm just saying it wouldn't at this. In this day and age, it wouldn't. Knowing what I know now, it wouldn't shock me that uh, Paul's not putting together All American Man by himself, dude. You know, right? Yeah, that's true, man. And 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 the way that they made because uh, it's it's hard to it's hard to have a signature sound as a drummer. If you can, if you go into a studio, you can you can make the drummer sound like the last drummer if you if you had to. In terms of sound, maybe not playing yeah, tempo right. or anything like that. Have his own unique. You know, but for someone to for someone to be able to get away with copying the style that Ace has was was pretty remarkable, and I, I think that was I think I saw a couple of interviews where Bob explains how he does that. Well, he um, did that very well on the, on Sweet Pain too. Yeah, so he nailed. He sounded like Ace really to me, man. Especially when I was a kid, you know. Right. But um, dude, let's go. Back. Well, I, I can't stop thinking about the uh, explosions in the crowd. Chanting, we want Kiss on the end of a uh, shout it out loud, dude. That was immense in '77. It's like I just w I will mow every lawn in the neighborhood to be able to afford the twelve dollar ticket to go see this. <laughs> yeah, dude, there was probably For eight bucks, dude, at that time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, just such, just I don't know, man. It, it's I know, and I know these are posed photos. But I mean, there's just between from the costumes to the way they were playing, everything was at the top of the game at this point. Yeah. And you know, we will uh, next next week we will focus on obviously '78 and going forward a little bit. So we'll touch on the um, the um, solo albums for a little bit, but we won't really touch too hard on them. But um, it's definitely like you said, it's the peak of the popularity of the explosion of marketing everything but then it it very quickly signals a, a sort of demise of the band obviously as we start heading into the solo albums because the solo albums were 
for all intents and purposes, the nail in the coffin, I think, for the the love that the original four had for each other. Maybe not musically, yeah. but I think it was starting here on a live for sure on the Love Gun tour, and it didn't get any better, obviously. So, but you know, that's what's going to happen, I guess, sometimes. But uh, yeah, Alive Two uh, is really the uh, as far as you know, Love Gun for studio albums, but Alive Two to me kind of marks a a close in the the second chapter, or you know, the second half of the seventies for them. Yeah. And, uh, everything else was kind of uh, spreading uh, fairy dust on everything to keep everybody fooled for a couple more years. You know, really, they they got they got uh, crash coursed in the rock and roll business very fast. Became an absolute juggernaut Juggernaut. and just ripped the earth apart for like five years. And, dude, and it doesn't seem like it a long time, but dude, that those five years must feel like fifty, if I'm being honest. When you you know, if you think about it, between just, the touring and just the impact, the live impact, the spectacle from the Love Gun tour had it impacted the music industry for decades, dude. The way live bands were, uh, you know, putting on putting productions on live productions, uh. It influenced a lot of things to come. Yeah. You can it see did. it, and obviously a lot of Aussie stuff, a lot of Dio solo stuff. Um, Everybody just did. just having something in the background that that adds to the theme of what you're doing is was amazing. And again, after you become uh, awesome like Kiss taught, was, go ahead. I'm sorry. It, it taught everybody else that you have to you have to up the game. You know. After seeing that shit, everybody had to up their game, dude, to a certain extent, one way, one way or another. You give them their uh, twelve dollars worth, man. That's a hard, <laughs> a hard earned twelve dollars. I haven't seen a show that cool up for two hundred now these days, right? Oh my god, dude! Like, hey, I I know my brother at least paid two fifty, three hundred a piece for those front row shows for that front row show, and that definitely wasn't what. Looking back, it wasn't what I expected it to be. It was everything I wanted it to be for the time. Yeah. Um, because I really, honestly, unless you're, you know, 20 rows back, the pyro doesn't really affect you anyway, other than feeling it. Um, I would rather be far back during a live too, if I'm being honest, to be able to see everything. But, you know, being front row, you kind of lose a lot of that spectacle. Uh, And then Paul flies over your ass. When you said that about seeing them in Miami, about it being looking smaller than you had the picture in your head since you were a kid. Um, You know, you've seen videos. I think the, uh, Love Gun set or the Alive Two set was probably a, a you know smaller than we thought it was at the time as well, dude. Yeah, um, you know, but it's still, no, nevertheless, you know, it's it was uh, like you said, it was it was groundbreaking. It's their bar, dude. They set it high. Yeah, they did. They might have set it too high for themselves. <laughs> they did in a couple ways, for sure. They did. Obviously, we yeah. see it. We saw it down the road uh, in in some of the late iterations of the band, but. Yeah, man, this this time frame, you know, 76, 77 is re- for me definitely the the greatest part of this. Uh, of uh, it's the heyday for Kiss. Oh, it's when you start seeing you start. At, at, we know this now. There's less love in the band at this time, uh, but there's still a great amount of love for the for the product that they're putting out, and that's really all that matters. We know now that Ace and Peter weren't part of that fourth side. Um, uh, and and other than, it rock did, ride, other than Rocket Ride, yeah, which is uh, still another groundbreaking oh, tune. Something you're saying though, Gene Simmons has actually I've heard him say 
that Peter that that's Peter Chris on larger than life. Even though he says that to this day, I still don't believe it. Really, no, I honestly don't. I mean, it sounds kind of like his style, but man, dude, he never got production. I mean, yes, it's production. It's not, you know, there's a lot of things you can do in the studio, but man, they're so huge sounding, man. Yeah, I don't think that it. I don't think that it matters. No, in the end, it doesn't really. Because Peter, there's nothing that Peter did that was so astounding. You know that uh that I was that that I was like oh that has to be Peter playing right there it's it's almost like if it's too advanced you know it's not Peter exactly if there's too many roles if there's a lot of accents happening if there's ghost notes for God's sake that's yeah. definitely probably not Peter although I think I, there's some ghost notes I think he did in in a couple oh. songs but he wasn't a fan of it he was it didn't it, he didn't practice it a lot but you're right he wasn't the you know it wasn't John Bonham or Neil Peart obviously. Far from but it. he was what definitely what they needed. He was the time guy, and he yeah. was really good at keeping time, dude. And just enough swing to make them swing, and uh, he was actually pretty solid, dude. In the first three or four tours, to, I mean, real solid, you know, a drummer. I think, uh, like you said, crack started showing in all of them. Uh, well, mainly Peter and Ace, you know, but even playing wise, I'll share with the audience and you my very first Ace Freely rocket ride experience Take a rocket ride. You didn't film that, did you? I did film that. Really? Yes. Wow, cool. Actually, was, I, uh, I like that version better than the one I saw online yesterday. I think it was. I think it was the Space Invader tour because I saw them. I saw him two years in a row at the same very, very tiny little. It's a little theater, if I'm being honest. Um, but yeah, it was amazing to hear that song live and to see the crowd blow up. This is Ace Freely with his band. It's not Kiss, obviously, uh, but. Dude, years and decades and decades down the road, man, we're still in love with this guy. We're still in love with this band. Uh, and for all the stuff that you and I talk about, because uh, for those who don't know, uh, Stoney and I have a huge love-hate relationship with, um, with well, I don't even want to hate, a, a, a love and disdain a little bit for the the tactic Gene has sometimes and, and just kind of the way he is. And we talk about him all the time, like, oh, that's a real fucking Gene thing to do. And it, it, he's become a he's become a, a way to describe a situation. But, you know, without Gene and Paul during this very crucial time, not being party animals, not being monsters of of uh, overindulgence other than probably sex, um, they they are the anchor of this band. And they definitely proved they can move on uh, and they, not rely on them. In fact, you're probably not. Even giving him, if it weren't for Gene and Paul, the, the Kiss would have crashed and burned around seventy six, maybe. You know. Well, let okay. me ask you this: that really that may be true. Do you think if they would have, if they would have maybe, and I don't really know what the money thing is, but if they if they would have given Paul and Ace maybe a couple more songs on some albums, do you think it would have uh, lengthened their relationship? 
further? Or do you think it, no matter what, this is what was going to probably happen to the band and it, and it did happen the, the, uh, the way it was supposed to happen? I think it may have placated them a little bit, but no, dude, those guys, that's their personality. Leopards don't change spots and that's, yeah. you weren't changing Ace and Peter. Just like we just, people don't change really, you know. Uh, I think uh, they were going to be self-destructive whether they got an extra track on every album or not, really. That's just me. That's my opinion, you know. And I think Peter, uh, you know, being the older guy, uh, having played with, you know, Krupa and these guys, just, just being sort of an elder statesman of drumming, I think he came into the band saying, oh, this is cool. I think I like it. You know, No one thought they would be as big as they were. But I don't think that he was prepared physically for the wear and tear on his arms, uh, no, no, no. his body, in addition to being fucking hammered uh, or, or just completely tweaked out on coke or whatever the case was, man. Like it, it, it's it, that was already too much for him at the time. So um, I always I think knowing back then, I think Ace probably could have stayed longer. But uh, but he was the he was the he was the talent in that band in terms of the guitar and the leads and stuff like that. Obviously, Gene and Paul were amazing, but oh, yeah, the sure. other talent was Ace. No, uh, when we said I think when I said that a while ago, I think they would have crashed and burnt. I just mean, you know, their natural tendency to to party and be just be yeah. rocking guys. But Ace is playing, man. Uh, he's kind of the Ace in, uh, the Ace up the sleeve or the Ace in the hole for Kiss uh, all those years. He really lent them uh, street cred. Playing. Yeah. P Peter had street cred just because he had street cred kind of thing. A rock and roll kind of wild guy too. But Ace's playing actually lent them a lot of musical credibility. And uh, without him as well, and I mean, what, it's the whole thing. It's the whole mixture, man. You know, you change one and, maybe, you know, we would have seen a completely different kiss probably in the 70s and, and on. This is definitely the street cred he gave us. There you go. <laughs> Not drum in sight, but plenty of street cred. I want to. Hey, can I take a picture with me holding a fucking knife? Is that all right? Yeah, yeah, you're good, man. Go ahead and do that. You're we're good. That's what I mean. It's just the rawness of it, and and we can't forget, we can't forget the New York about this band. Absolutely, uh, the attitude of the city. Um, and the times and the, and the, and, you know, they were, they were kind of soft-spoken people. I wouldn't, I wouldn't venture to say Paul, uh, and, and Gene were tough guys. I think for the most part, they probably weren't. They were a little, they were more smart than they were tough, but that was a tough fucking place, man, to be able to do what they did. And, and, and you know, obviously Twisted Sister and some of these bands to come out and look completely left field compared to what they have seen and then actually still become what they became is amazing and it has everything to do with that new york attitude and that's what it all stemmed from uh some some ways polished here and there but yeah that old adage if you can make it here you can make it anywhere was probably true you know um they look and they are huge in japan everywhere, <laughs> well, everywhere else they went at least in the united states the continental united states they weren't going to be intimidated by what you know fort worth or phoenix or you know you, you're Look at where they're from, dude. So I think it helped them, their attitude a lot from the very beginning. I mean, it's probably all New York bands to a certain extent, you know, or, or LA bands or what have you, you know? Yeah, that's the truth. And they definitely, they definitely had a lot of attitude in the way they, uh, held themselves and it's funny to see the evolution of their interviews over the years how it was they wanted gene to be the which is the reason why gene was on the mike douglas shows because you know they were like we got to have somebody to no talk one else, to and he, no one else right. 
he was so well spoken that he had to go out there and dumb himself down for the audience uh, in order to be uh, what they, he wanted them to perceive him as. You know, with that, uh, your audience's some of your audience's necks look really delicious, necks and cheeks. Or he says something weird like, "Yeah, their necks and cheeks look delicious." <laughs> he actually hadn't really found his true character yet either. Not at all, dude. He didn't know what to say. Like, what planet are you from? He would just be like, uh, "I'm from Brooklyn." Let us play our song now. And he looks actually, he actually looks uncomfortable on Mike Douglas. Completely. I'm yeah, sure. Toadie calls him out, dude. You can't hide the hook, and he's all, oh, you should God. only know. Like oh, so bad, Toady Fields. <laughs> Holy shit. Well, you know what, man? That's 76 to 77. Is there anything you want to uh, shoot out before we before we take off out of here? Any notes you want to talk about or anything we didn't talk about? I'm sure I will remember that after the fact. But um, yes, a lot of fun, man. Uh, talking about KS, 70s KISS in particular, Never gets old. So, uh, yes, there's there's going to be some things uh, after we hang up, so to speak. That I'm going to go, damn, you know, how can I not bring that up? But, uh, no, I've enjoyed it, man. So just as much as uh, 1.0 yeah, the other day, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for hanging out with myself and Stoney. Next week, we're going to take it further through the – uh, the last part of the makeup years, if you will, uh, sort of where my <clears throat> intense fandom for Kiss stops. Name <laughs> uh, as, as well, yeah. From there on out, I just kept talking about how awesome it was when they had their makeup on. But there's a lot of pretty killer stuff to talk about still uh, on some albums that weren't really loved by the Kiss community. But um, thank you for for everyone who come uh, to whoever to everyone who came and hung out with us Bobby Simon uh Mark my fr- our friend Mark from the Drifter Days obviously thanks for coming and hanging out dude that was really awesome I knew we'd get you out and Kiss is definitely the way to do it uh <laughs> Jay Mack and Andrew Bobby everybody that came out to to listen to us ramble on Brian Smith all you guys who came and uh, listened to us I truly appreciate it Stony appreciates it we appreciate it at TCSP and uh Like I said, we're going to come back next week and talk about some of the later albums. So, um, you know, until then, guys, keep rocking. We'll see you soon. Kiss loves you. Thank you, Simon. <laughs>